Welcome to the Fox Pro Podcast, brought to you by Fox Pro Game Calls. We're rolling again. Welcome back to the Fox Pro Podcast. I'm John Collins, and on this episode, we've got Josh Kinzer of Swagger Bipods on the line. Josh, what's going on, buddy? Uh, we're just, you know, trying to get through the allergy season here in Texas. We're getting some rain, so that's that's good. We always need that, but right, it sure is making everything bloom and throw out pollen and, and you know this part of texas it's uh it's generally some of the worst for for allergens it's just like everybody's like oh i'm not allergic to something well okay you don't necessarily have to be allergic to it but when you're you know ingesting pounds and pounds and pounds of pollen and dust it just right happens. well and, and, <laughs> and you guys you essentially you spend time in two different sections of texas so you all got two different deals to worry about <laughs> yeah up here is worse where we live like in between san antonio and austin is sort of this belt of uh, wonderful right right now right and then uh <laughs> and then you and the family spend a lot of time down at deer camp which is down in the uh, close to laredo right right and uh we're actually getting rain there this morning so yep yeah, what's what's your temperatures been like here lately? They've not been too bad. Like fifties in the morning. Uh, you know, we we had a high the other day that got ninety one, ninety two. Uh, you know, but most of most of it's been like seventies. Right, right, right. Low eighties. That, that ain't too bad. It's been uh, we've had some seventy degree days here in uh, Central Kentucky, and it was really nice yesterday, about sixty eight, seventy degrees. But uh, this morning it was thirty eight. And it's got cold again, but I think it's supposed to warm back up here in a couple more days. But, you know, we're uh, we're looking at uh, spring turkey season to start here in just a few weeks. But, you know, Josh, me and you, uh, we got to spend some, some time hunting together this past December, uh, doing a little bit of deer hunting down your way. I appreciate you inviting us down there. But, man, we had some, we had some pretty good times deer hunting with the Fox Pro, didn't we? We did. And, you know, even the the time we didn't, you know necessarily connect I mean, we saw some pretty interesting stuff um you know calling and rattling wise and 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 just some you know you get to play around with deer vocalizations like that and see some different things you haven't seen before it's, it's really cool it, it is it is pretty cool and that's when we were hunting it was right uh in the middle well i don't guess you'd call it the middle of the rut down there was it was just kind of yeah no the first time we you were down there it was like the first week of december yep yep and i think what happened to us that's usually a good pre-rut week you you always have to watch out that week um because there are some does that come into heat early and they'll sort of seek out the the mature bucks and and so they you know i I have it happens to me all the time that week i'll be rattling and i'll rattle in does and right and they're they're kind of but I think we had something happen this year, and I, I don't know if it was from the drought uh, in the in the prior spring and summer that we had, but we had deer come in really we, – I mean, I, I killed a buck uh, that was bedded down with a doe the week of Thanksgiving. I, I know most people were listening to this being like, okay, so what? Right. But you got to remember in South Texas, we're, you know, you know we're, we're six weeks behind most of the country. Mm-hmm in um in rut activity right yeah i so, mean most of these people a lot of the guys that's gonna be listening to this are thinking well y'all talking about rut in 
December. We're, you know, a lot of people's thinking, you know, first couple of weeks of November and stuff, but it's a little later down there in uh, South Texas. It's a little bit different ball. Right. So this, this is kind of like you telling me that you killed a buck locked down with a doe the, you know, first week of October or second week of October, something right. like that. Right. Maybe, you know, maybe not that extreme, but I, I'm, so I, I think when you got there, we were not quite in as much of a pre-rut as sort of this elongated rut. It was, it was like a pre-pre-rut. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty wild because because it was going on. And, and um, you know, the interesting thing to me was we, we had two really, really hot days. And yeah. then it just died off. Um, we were able to call deer in. But not they they wouldn't fully commit to it. But the two days prior, the first two days, man, it was it was on. And I mean, we used um, uh, the oh gosh, I'm forgetting the calls, John. Well, uh, well, one thing it was that stands out in my mind is really was going on. You know, I've hunted with you down there in the past uh, a few years ago, a couple different times. When I came down, it was I wouldn't say it's dry, but most of the vegetation yes. had died back, and you were actually having deer coming to feed and that type of stuff when i got there this year it was super 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 green and josh's part of the world down there in that south texas you just don't see deer out uh because it's so thick you can't see i mean it's just thick nasty mesquite brush and and cactus and i mean what like if you can walk right up beside it what can you see three steps inside this stuff you know <laughs> so uh, yeah. I think what was going what was going on was all these deer were staying in that thick brush because they already they had so much to eat. The only thing they was doing was maybe having to travel to get water. So a lot of that rut activity was actually happening in that thick, thick brush. And we were trying to call them out in senderos and small food plots and where uh, we can see them exactly. And these these places you set up for for bait sites, you know, that you would clear out what a quarter acre maybe. You know, these small areas. Um, but you know, when we did get to calling, uh, we did have uh, some pretty dynamic call-ins. We just didn't call in exactly what we're looking for, and and that's a cool thing. Is yes, in Texas, you can use electronic calls for for deer hunting uh, to try to call these up, and there's several states out there that do allow this. Uh, and Texas is definitely one of them. And and what we were using, we had you know, we've got all kinds of different uh, deer vocalizations grunts breeding type sounds um you know breeding sequences with bucks grunting and does letting out bleats and that type of stuff and several different rattling sequences and uh, one of the the sounds that we had a lot of success with were some of the mm sounds or matt McHugh right. sounds uh there was a particular breeding sequence that we had all kinds of responses to well and that one um you know that I like that one because it's kind of it kind of sits the the full three D experience of what what's sort of happening. You know, you've got you've got some grunting in there, you've got some tending grunts, you've got dough. Like it's a it's a whole you know experience those what is happening when those two get together. And you know, I, I told you, I mean, after you left, we that one of the bucks we were trying to shoot um, got wounded somewhere. Yeah. Uh, Badly, I'm, I've called that that deer out. He would limp out to that site. Um, I think you and I called him out one time where he just kind of limped out. Yeah, we did. Back that, the uh, that really nice. He's he's kind of narrow, but tall, tight, mm-hmm. good, good, great looking eight point. I would have I would have busted his hind end when we actually called him out, but he had a broke 
he he's busted up when we seen him. But he 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 couldn't handle it. He no. was hurt. And still he, couldn't, he, knew he, <laughs> he knew he couldn't come in all the way because he couldn't risk getting into another fight. I mean, he was he was hobbled. I mean, limping yeah. is doesn't even do justice to the way he was he was doing. But I, I mean, I, yeah, it was like he just couldn't handle that one, and I, that one was probably my favorite. I know you can't use it every single time, but uh, well, it, it sure was, when it was working, <laughs> it worked great. And I, I actually made two trips down there to to Josh. The first trip down, we hunted for like two and a half days maybe three days. I can't remember for sure, but we had some call-ins, but it was slow, but we did have some call-ins and we called stuff in. It was pretty cool to see the interaction, but they was all just younger bucks. Never called in a mature buck. And then I think this was the first morning I come back for a second trip. What? Two weeks later, I think. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. And we hit back on the 26th of December. Yeah. Yeah. Day after Christmas (laughs) family loved that. (laughs) But anyway, (laughs) Well, uh, we come back down for that second trip. We hit it just right, seemed like. Uh, and I think it was the very first morning, if you remember, we actually were look was looking for that buck, you know, because we was kind of wanting mm-hmm. to get on him that first trip down. And sure enough, that first morning, it wasn't that. Within the first hour of shooting light, it was either the first calling sequence or the second calling sequence we let off on the Fox Pro, and uh, that bad boy just emerged out of that uh, thicket into the food plot and like you said, he was limping and carrying on, and you know he was the buck we was looking for. But the thing was, when he come out, he was missing. Was it his G three that he had busted off plumb right down at the uh, at his at his you know his beam, and, and maybe some chip yeah, something else off too. Maybe part of his beam was gone too. Um, yes, yes, yeah. I now you know for us, generally speaking, what we say is kind of the the peak of the rut for us is the. 24th through like new year's december 24th through new year's yep. like that christmas break and, and you know we we see a, a lot of different kinds of you know there's a, it's, it's a long rut for those deer down there. Right. It's, it's just a little bit different than uh but i i think to me what was the most interesting is now you've got to understand what I think most people listening to this podcast would think of, you know, when, when you're deer hunting, you're, you're hunting in somewhat of a canopy. I'm not saying everybody, but I'm saying a lot, you know, especially for Midwest and the other guys, I mean, guys in Kansas, there's parts would not, but that the sounds are going to be held in that canopy a lot better. Right. So, you, right. you know, you're going to hear deer down in a draw going like that. So not only are we open, but we're also, I mean, there's a reason there's windmills around us, right? It's, a, it's basically a wind farm right, all around us. Right, so, very, yep. so sometimes those we don't hear those. And um, some of the sounds, I remember, uh, these were the MM sounds. Yep. It's like, man, that sounds really weird. I've never heard a deer make that sound before. Right. And then... Every, real, real throaty, girdly yeah, sound yeah. and grunts and stuff. Like, yep, yep. And we the first week that you were there and the second week we we had those deer mimicking that sound back to us i very i very we would get on stand and we was like like we would hunt the first couple hours of daylight just like you deer hunting and we would set our call out there in accordance to the wind kind of like how you're making coyote stands you know whether it's blowing left to right right to left and all that type of stuff uh but we'd set that call out there and and you know hunt the first couple hours and just 
every what 15 20 minutes josh something like that we yeah. let out a calling sequence and if we didn't call nothing in after the first two hours we'd actually get up and just like making coyote stands we'd go to a sendero call for 15 or 20 minutes nothing showed we'd pack up and go to another spot but i remember the first time we started playing sounds you know it let out these some of these different grunts and stuff on there that's on the Fox pros. And some of the, some of them are some of our older sounds and some of them are some of the MM sounds, but I remember it let out this grunt and it'd be like, you know, something crazy. And I look <laughs> over, Josh was over just shaking his head like, what in the world have you, man, we ain't going to call that nothing. And it wouldn't be what, 30 seconds later, you'd hear in this thick mesquite brush, you'd hear, coming back out there at you where a buck was answering us. Um, you know, there were several instances that we might have not have called a buck in the view, but we actually called a buck towards us. It just never did break break cover, but was vocalizing back to us. And I thought that was pretty cool stuff. Yeah, and I think if, if I remember, it was one of the first or second interactions where we had where that happened, we actually thought it was a pig coming in we're I, I mean i was excited because i was like okay well, let's shoot a pig here right. you know it's by the end of that and it wasn't it was yeah, you know it was, a, it was a it was a buck and it was like a three-year-old buck yep. making that yep. um you know he was trying his best to be as um as throaty and raspy as he possibly could but yeah i i um we we had a lot of success with it this year too um you know and, and I, I always talk about rattling and calling. Like, you will hear people say, well, like, oh, it doesn't work for me. And it's like, well, okay, I use this analogy all the time. Man, I love topwater fishing. Love it. But if if I gave up topwater fishing for all the times it didn't work on, on, you know, work for me, I'd have given up some of my favorite fishing moments in my life. Right. And, and the same is true with rattling and calling, right? So, you can go and you can beat your head against the wall. And you're just like, this is not working. And then the next day, it's magic. And, it, you know, it, it doesn't always have to be like that. But, but the other thing I was thinking of, too, is like, you know, if I, if, even if the fish are hitting top water, right? It's a cloudy day. Everything's set perfect. And, and I am throwing my buzzbait in the middle of the lake versus where, where bass are, are, you know, hiding up against cover. I'm not going to have as much luck. And, right. and I, we had some days that were really, really windy. And I was thinking about the other day, we went to go set up to call. And down the Sendero, I don't know, it was probably a half a mile, we could see deer running around. Right. And they couldn't hear us. No. Uh-uh. We, we right. had the wind in our face. We had all this stuff that's perfect for calling and whatnot. But we we rattled. We called. They, they had no idea we were there. Right. We got up. We moved closer. I, I think, John, if I'm not mistaken, we, we had to get. Now, granted, you got to understand, not only was there wind. There were three bucks running around a doe. There was a lot going on, so they had their own noises. Yep. But we didn't actually get a response from something until we got. Well, you crowded them. I, I want to say it was a hundred yards away. Yeah, and another Maybe thing less. we we had going on is it was us. There was the deer, and then past the deer was a windmill. So we were closing in on the windmills too. So there was windmill noise there. But like you said, like we just we wait for those deer to go out of sight. 
we'd pack up and and just practically run towards them you know gain 100 yards on them and set up and call again and then finally we we was walking we thought we knew we was getting fairly close and all of a sudden we heard we heard two bucks fighting we could hear antlers crashing together in the brush so we actually scrambled and set up and we let out a, a rattling sequence of our own and threw out a few grunts and we had a nice five-year-old buck come charging out and he was panting remember he was out of breath panting he oh, probably yeah. just whooped off a buck and was coming to whoop us <laughs> and he really he he knew he didn't have too much time when he didn't see anything there he's like all right i gotta get back to yeah come out stuff. there and of course he didn't see a buck so he stood out there you know we saw him for probably 15 20 seconds i mean we had plenty of time to to, to kill him we could have killed him four or five times i mean heck he run up there within 40 or 50 steps of us uh but i mean he was he was mature enough um it just you know we didn't get to uh age him quick enough we were looking for a nice mature buck we wanted a five six seven year old buck it's just what we was after we was wanting to kill a mature buck and uh, when he come out there it's like oh man i can't tell if he's four or five or what and he turns and leaves getting a brush and about the time he was going in the brush he's like ooh, maybe we should have shot that one <laughs> <laughs> yeah I, I i just i think it's just important like you just just because it doesn't work for you one time doesn't you know it's it's not like coyotes right um you know i mean well, you know, even with, even with coyotes, you have your dry spells, right. but you know, yeah. I mean, they can be you called in any spells. given day, really. <laughs> but yeah, they're, they're always going to come to a wounded rabbit yeah, or some, something, some, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I, I tell you, we had, um, this was a couple of years ago in June, we did um, kind of a work week down at the ranch where I had a bunch of the Swagger and, and Boogie J team down there, yep. and they were going to go out and call for coyotes. Yep. And so they took the Fox Pro out and they were, you know, we had phones on the ground at this time. Yep. Um, yep. Remember, we're six weeks behind everybody. So, yeah. No. But um, we failed to call it a coyote, but we called in four does. Yeah, they're ready, and... ready to stomp y'all's lights out, too, probably. <laughs> <laughs> Two of them stomped the crap and scarred up the Fox Pro. Yep. yep. Stomped the crap out of it. Um, yep. You know, so. Um, it's yeah it just it just depends on the the timing and whatnot but i i just I, I, there's nothing more fun to me than to be able to call deer in and do that and i mean anybody who's elk hunted is you know that's that magical time when right you're yeah you just got that woods. short yeah you got that short time frame with elk season and spring turkey season you know when they're going to come to the call so it's the same difference mm-hmm. i mean elk is pretty much just a big turkey but yeah look a little bit harder to pack out <laughs> yeah, a little bit <laughs> <laughs> but all right when we got on the when we got on the deer i think we had to be close enough to them and we had to have the right buck you know we we called in what do you think we called in a dozen bucks maybe more i would say i'd say more than that if you're counting the ones that that came in and just vocalized to us oh yeah yeah there was several we didn't see but well i I know we called in three mature bucks that well that that first morning we called in i I think a total of seven or eight yeah just that first morning yeah yeah i forgot yeah that's right i forgot all we actually called three bucks (laughs) and one watt at the same time but yeah we we ended up didn't we never called a mature buck on that first trip come back two weeks later and in three days, we caught in three mature bucks, passed one uh, because he was busted up. 
you know, we was like, man, I, we ain't killing that deer with him busted up like that. Maybe we can get on him next year. Second mature buck we called up. We let him get away from us because we didn't get him aged quick enough. And then finally, we we scored on a what was it thing twenty one or twenty two inches wide, big wide eight point. Yep, yeah, he come, he actually come in from the right. Uh, he come in in the MM breeding sequence. He come in from the right, exactly where we wasn't expecting. And this is this is kind of where uh, you know we can bring Swagger bipods into this mix too. We were we were on the Swagger bipod QD forty twos the whole time. This buck comes in from the right. I couldn't tell exactly what it was, and Josh like, oh man, that's a big wide eight. We need to kill that buck. So I'm I'm adjusting to get back to the right to get on this buck and all of a sudden he crosses in front of us and gets right in front of the fox pro but the thing was we had a mesquite tree right there too he stopped right on the other side of that mesquite tree and was looking for the the rutting action that he heard going on coming out of that fox pro and then finally come out the other side of it and i had to swing back to the left before he got back across that uh we had a little sendero cut through there that you had some oats and stuff planted in as soon as he got out there i hit the calling in it got him stopped i swung over and was able to pop center, punch him right in the shoulder, drop him right in his tracks. Awesome you know, and you, you got to be careful on a, a situation like that because that, that buck comes in. I mean, you got to shoot him immediately because a doe comes out after he's heard something like oh, that. Oh, he's going to take off like a streak of lightning. He's gone. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I mean, you, he's putting a half mile on you in, in five seconds. Yep. And so. And plus, we had milked him. We had milked him all we could. We couldn't see him because he stopped in behind that uh, that mesquite tree, and there was another bush there or something. But he had stood there looking for several seconds, probably thirty seconds, uh, you know, looking for that what that action was that buck and doe that was you know in the MM breeding sequence, and he didn't see nothing. And he could have just as easily walked straight away from us and us never got a shot at him or darted back to the right where he come from. But luckily enough, he cut to the left where we had some open ground. Like I said, we, we unmuted that call and got him, got him stopped again, swung on him. And, and man, it was a great hunt. I just appreciate you having me down. It's definitely a hunt. I will not soon forget. That's for sure. Well, I absolutely, we love having you. You know, the other thing too, uh, you go back to talking about the rut and, you know, two things is like, I mean, to think about one uh, when we finished uh, my daughter and I finished cleaning that deer out that buck did not have an ounce of fat on him oh he'd been running like crazy hadn't he, he had been, I mean <laughs> there was nothing and you know there was that picture I sent you where there's a doe hanging up in the cooler right beside him the doe's covering fat yeah yep but this guy had run himself down. He and he also had a stab wound in the back uh, of his, uh, I believe it was his left hand. Yep. That went pretty dang deep. We had to cut quite a bit of meat out around it. Uh, but I mean, I just you know the one that my my middle daughter killed this year too. Just absolutely no fat on him, and so you you run into that when you have that. Uh, a situation like we had this year where the rut kind of dragged on and, and you had, um, you know, last year, like I mentioned it, we had a bit of a drought. So I think our phone recruitment was really, really low. There were a lot of those that for, for one reason or another, their phones did not survive or they did not get first. Right. right. And so I think when that happens, nature's way is like, okay, here's some that are going to come in early and, 
you know, when they don't get bred, they just keep coming in um, for a couple of months. Right, but, and, I, and I'm sure there's other factors goes in that as well. You know, there is a lot of deer there, but uh, in that, that area, this is this is all low fence stuff, guys. You know, this is this is 100% low fence. You're just hunt, out there hunting 100% bear chase wild deer, and the deal is, but the the areas that people hunt there are pretty are managed pretty strictly so the buck to doe ratios are excellent for this type of hunting and one, there's a lot of fighting that goes on so that's gonna that's gonna work these bucks and the other thing is where that buck to doe ratio is so tight they've got to work harder to to get does right i mean to go you know they're right. constantly searching trying to find them and so when you when you have a year kind of like that that happens and we tend to see more injuries and more broken antlers and the deer are just so run down. Oh, it's just like um, that, just like the eight busted up eight pointer we was talking about that we was actually after when he come out, his rack was busted and man, and you have to answer this. Have you seen him since the season went out? Cause he looked rough. I mean, I was almost like, should we rough. shoot him just cause how bad he is? Cause he was limping, man. He, he was like packing a leg. He wasn't even hardly even touching it on the ground. He was such horrible shape with it we called him in several more times uh and he would just come to that back edge of the brush he wouldn't fully come out right um it had to come but, had to come see what was going on he couldn't stand it <laughs> um hattie and i went back there we were quail hunting we were just kind of walking through the brush trying to jump some quail up and i think we jumped him and oh, this really? was this was like into february so we're talking yeah um, y'all was pretty uh, much done two huh? months you know you. the whole month of january the whole month of february after well, if you think he made it to that time there. frame surely surely he'll he'll make it hey yeah hey, I, that I, sounds like i got a target for next december yeah, we, <laughs> hey, we, we had another deer though that i filmed um that was hurt real bad came limping through and i i thought about taking him out but it I never saw where his leg was was actually broken. Um, you know, it wasn't flopping; it wasn't doing anything. But um, I filmed him a couple of times at the end of the season, coming in to feed. Um, <clears throat> you, you see that towards the end, but I, I mean, there was a deer a couple of years ago, and I, I was telling actually it was when you were down, and I was with uh, Soup. He was filming, and this two-year-old buck came out. I mean, his leg was broken. It looked like yeah. in three places. It was just a noodle, and I thought, oh, God, I got to put this guy out of his misery. And the moment I go to get my, you know, turn around and get on the swagger, he goes shooting, a doe pops out down the pipeline, and he sees her and goes off running to her, just dragging this. <laughs> leg swinging up, hitting him in the his back. leg and... <laughs> swinging like a limp noodle, you know? <laughs> it's pretty wild. I mean, I've seen deer – you know, you find them and you can't even tell what in the world's happened to them. You're like, what in the world killed this deer? And then you see some deer that's in that getting bad shape like that from fighting or being shot or whatever. And next thing you know, you see them the following season. They just have to completely heal up. So they're pretty, pretty resilient animals, that's for sure. But it is. It's a funny, you know, I mean, they spend all year gaining weight, putting fat on, you know, for this, this two-month period at most, most times a month long, and, you know, to just go at it and breed as much as they can, and, and if they live, do it again the next year. Right. Yep. Yep. It's, uh, they're, a, they're a cool animal. I definitely look forward to uh, hunting them every year, and I think I found a new 
a new passion with, with trying to call them into Fox Pro too. It's a, it was definitely, definitely something, you know, my first year doing that, you know, I've never got to hunt a state. Well, I've hunted Texas before, but we never did incorporate the uh, Fox Pro trying to call them in, but it's my first year really doing that. And I tell you what, I'll be doing it again next season. Cause that, that's pretty addicting. <laughs> that was, that was fun. Yeah. And, um, you know, there's so many, there's advantages to have just like coyote calling, right? I mean, there's advantages to having that noise coming somewhere else where you're not. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, to be able to hit that and draw that attention to, to out there in front of you somewhere versus right back where you're sitting in your tree. Um, Oh, well, Josh is like getting that buck killed. You know, that, that last hunt when we killed that big mm-hmm. wide eight point, I think that that call saved us. I mean, cause when we let a grunt, cause we had to stop him, that buck was leaving, you know, we mm-hmm. had to get him, you know, he stood around there forever and couldn't find what it was and we couldn't shoot him. And once he said, Hey, there's no deer here, I'm moving on. When he got out there in the open, we stopped him with the call, but the call was out in front of us about 30 yards and about 10 yards to the right. So that call had his attention. That was allowed us to to swing, you know, swinger gun over to the left, sw- the swagger, uh, the QD 42s. We set, had a 30 out six. We had to swing. We had to reposition and get on this buck, get him killed. And we was able to move without him. He never even looked at us. You know, he was focused in on the call. So it saved us. I really think so. Well, I, and you know, both those trips, I, my plan when we were doing that, because you know, we know that happens. I, I, I had Montana decoy does. The problem was rats chewed through them. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, and, and you don't find that out until you go to pull it out. You're like, Oh crap, man. But that's where I really like something like, you know, the Montana's are, are nice and easy that, you know, you're not carrying this huge, big, you know, <clears throat> plastic molded plastic animal and popping in and out. Of your, but it, it just gives them that that's something to look at just for a second. Right. Um, the same sort of idea uh, that you all have with the decoy that spins around. And, yep. and yep. I mean, it, it, because, you know, when you call his deer into a field and they don't see anything, they're not going to, one, they're not going to waste their energy. They're not going to waste their time. They got, they got does to breed. They got property to, to, to defend. And, if they can't see that threat right there, they're going to move on. Right. Um, right. Yeah. And, and you know, it's different. We're talking about that happens in a big field, but that's where our, all, almost all of our uh, early season incidents or run-ins where we called them in, they were coming off to the fringe and just staring. And I wish Rats hadn't achieved that little decoy. We might have. <laughs> right, right. Um, I'll call John from Montana <laughs> a couple of months uh, if yeah. I can get some more. Yeah, or maybe we need to make it. Maybe Fox Pro needs to make a deer decoy. We need to come up with something. <laughs> maybe just spinning around. The- <laughs> hey, the the thing is though, when it when it come right down to it, we you know everything worked out just fine. I got that buck called in got him stopped and we was able to swing on him and then it was just like second nature getting that thing knocked down and you know i think it's what we need to talk about here a little bit it's kind of that moment of truth you know when it when it came up we were able to capitalize on it just like it was second nature i made to put a great shot on him dropped him right there um you know that's the thing when a hunter puts in the time and and figures out a deer in that situation or in 
in our world where a lot of us guys, you know, here at Fox pro and, and all the uh, Fox pro fans and stuff, we're, we're talking about coyotes and, you know, you lay out that perfect plan to get on them. You get them called up, you know, you've done the toughest part getting on the animal. Uh, you know, all the things left is that moment of truth when it's time to, you know, touch one off. Guess what? There's a lot of people in those situations. They go through all that work, spend all that time, get right there in that perfect situation. And then they miss an easy, easy shot happens to a lot of people and i think a lot of it comes down to is uh is trigger time with their firearm you know i think it's extremely important to be proficient with your uh with your shooting setup your hunting setup um right right and, and the you know as we used to say the military train is you fight and whatnot and so yeah 100 yards is not far when you're sitting on a bench right it's it's, it's, a, it's a layup right you're, yep. you're you're matching that out well you know, I can put myself in a position really easily that a hundred yards is, is an unmakeable shot. If I'm standing out of balance, um, you know, no, no, no rest, no anything like that. And so that's, you know, that's always kind of a frustrating thing for me when, when we, you know, over the years of hosting people and it, I use the example, same thing with bow hunting, you know, we're, we're, we're sitting down in a pop-up blind but nobody's practiced shooting their bow sitting down. Right. And that's different than standing up with, I mean, you know, that first time you pull that bow back and you haven't shot it sitting down in a, in a, in a blind, you're like, Oh goodness. this is do. Well, that's not, you know, not practicing and training how you're going to shoot in the field is, is even more. And, um, you know, I, I was, there was a guy that, a, a customer for swagger that was on the other day and he, he loved swagger, but he was like, Hey, you know, really got a suggestion is there something y'all could do you know when it's when it's really cold out and you've got gloves on and a coyote runs out and i go to adjust the legs it's hard for me to do it with gloves on and i'm like whoa i don't want you to adjust the legs yeah that's the beauty of the swagger you don't, you don't have to you don't have to readjust them <laughs> yeah i don't want you touching those not like that you're just going to spread the legs out like that's the, the fluidity of it and the ability to get on target completely uh with your eye on the scope your eye in the scope on the target and you're adjusting it by simply spreading the legs out spreading them back in leaning in leaning forward and then getting into a position where one you're not only uh, stationary and stable in the front but you're able to get in a position where you can tuck that knee under that floating elbow and right you know oh, target hey and that's that's huge too you know talking about uh practicing from the field i you know i think that is so key there's there's so many people that that do become proficient with their with their rifle shooting off a bench uh that type of stuff and, and can just you know stack bullets right on top of each other you know these little one hole groups well, you take them out there in the field, you know, they're shooting at a hundred yards and they might even be ringing steel plumb out to a thousand yards, but then you take them set them on their butt or set them in a chair and put them in a hunting situation where a deer, big rutting buck comes running out, chasing a doe, or you take them coyote hunting and a three pack of coyotes run out and it's chaos and you got to move quick and get set up on them and get them shot. Guess what happens? That thousand yard steel puncher, that precision rifleman, turns into a novice pretty quick because he has not practiced in a hunting situation. You have got yeah, to practice that way. 
it's kind of like taking a Porsche out or, you know, what, whatever, a Mustang or whatever the fastest car is right now. I'm not a muscle car guy, but, <laughs> you know, I mean, there's, there's nobody that's going to doubt it. I mean, even say a Lamborghini, Ferrari, whatever, that car is worthless on the farm in Kentucky. Right. Or a farm, I mean, anywhere. It's, it's absolutely worthless. So it's it's very similar. I mean, that's what swagger you got to think about. We we did not make that for punch and steel. It's it's made for hunting. It's made for acquiring targets fast and and to take yeah. it out. And you know, I, I it, my perfect scenario, I'd love to be able to just lay in the prone and shoot my target. Right. Oh my god, that'd be awesome. Right? Yeah. But how often does that work out where you get to do that? (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to, I'd like to have a nice shooting bench set up wherever I'm at and maybe sit in a recliner while I'm at it. I did it when we first started Swagger, I did an ad campaign. It was just like, you know, grass, the number one interview of a traditional bipod. Yeah. Laying prone, laying prone. And, and that's, you know, so yeah, you lay down, you want to do that, but obviously a lot of times it's grass or it's brush or it's, terrain that doesn't afford you that and um you know personally i i for most situations i prefer the 129 yep. because i can go from prone to a seated kneeling you know you can't really use that as well if you're if you're seated in a chair you can tuck it in the legs and right whatnot but it you know um and and that's two products that's a a bipod and a shooting stick all in the same Right, um, you know, little twist of the, the, the right. lever, the same and, package, two and one, two and one, pretty much. But yeah, I, I, um, I, I, range time is important. I'm not going to discount that. Range time has its place, <clears throat> but it, 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 it has more limitations. Like it, it, you can go to the range every day for a week. And spend three hours a day there, and that's not that's still not going to prepare you for most what any yeah you know, I don't know of any coyote situation that's really going to prepare you. So, no. You know, it's going to handle your trigger squeeze, your breathing. Yeah, that's all great. And, you know, you can confirm your zero, you know, stuff mm-hmm. like that. But that's pretty much where it ends. But there's there's so much that goes on into learning and the muscle memory of getting yourself into a quick stable shooting position to take the best shot. There's no, there's never going to be a perfect shot out there in that field, but to take the best shot at the situation that was given to you. Right. Right. And, and the way to do that is if you're thrown a bad situation, you're able to get in there quick, tuck in, get that knee under the elbow of your shooting, your firing hand and driving that bullet home and and putting that tag on whatever animal you're shooting. Exactly. And, I tell you what, going back, you've heard me say this many times about the swagger stuff, Josh, that, you know, I've, I've always said, you know, Hey, this stuff right here is made for hunting. And, uh, you, you brought up some traditional, you said, mentioned something about traditional sticks earlier. Uh, I actually went on a hunt here recently with, uh, with a, with a guy up in Ohio, really good friend, excellent, 
excellent coyote hunter, excellent uh, deer hunter. Uh, he had never used Swagger bipods. We got up there and said, hey, try out these QD42, see what you think about them. He said, yeah, yeah, so I'll try them out. And, you know, kind of set them up, show him how I like to use them and stuff like that. And we extended one section. It was the QD42s. We extend, extended one section completely out. And then the second section, we'd run about halfway out. I sat right there. It's going to cover you in every situation we'll be in a day from sitting right on the ground or sitting up in a chair on hillsides, whatever. We get on the first stand. I look over at him. He's playing with them there and stuff. He's tell he's really comfortable in them. And I asked him, I said, what do you think? He said, I like them. It's going to work out pretty good. Well, he got on the second stand. I looked over mm-hmm. at him, and he's over there. He's adjusting the legs. I see him starting adjusting leg length. I said, hey, uh-huh. I said, I said what, what are you needing? He said, well, he said, I like to be a little bit shorter out here because I'm, I'm in this situation. And actually what he done, he was set up pretty good, and we heard a coyote howl. It was off to our right. Well, he spun to the right, and when he did, he was off level there a little bit. I said, I said, you ain't got to readjust that leg. Like I said, just spread the things out. He said, what do you mean spread them out? I said, well, that's what them springs are for. I said, spread the legs, legs out and can it over. You ain't got to readjust. That's the beauty of it. He said, huh. He spread that leg out and got down on it, turned around. He, he looked over his right shoulder. He said, I'm digging this. I like it. Because, <laughs> you know, uh, it, your traditional your traditional shooting stick yeah. guy has to, and if they're in different situations, they don't have no choice. They have got to adjust their leg length. That's the beauty of these swagger bipods. Man, I think I may have adjusted my leg length twice all of 2022. <laughs> so, and I think the only time I did that was to, to get them all folded up to put them in a suitcase, get on an airplane. <laughs> It's yeah, and and you see, you know, what we try to show folks is like, hey, this is we can be able to just go in and out because you know that animal that you get set up on. If you talk about that tradition where you you go and you adjust legs and you get right on it, well, we'll just use this as an example, and, and all of a sudden that animal either moves or say you're on elk and a better elk comes out two hundred yards up above that. Animal. Instead of getting in there and fiddling with adjustments, you just, I mean, you know, if you're in a kneeling position, go to see it. Go to And just move those legs in and out and yep. adjust on the target. I, I, I had, um, you know, being at shows and things like that, I keep it every time somebody's come up, who's doing And then, you go, okay, well, why don't you sit down and use it? And then they're like, oh, this is awesome. And right, right. You're never going to be able to argue with those guys. Like, uh, I remember one year we had a guy come up and say, well, I said, as good as what I use. I take a poker table out of my blinds. <laughs> oh, man, I'd love to pack yeah. out, wouldn't you? <laughs> I, I, I can't beat you on that one, buddy. Right. Uh, so. <laughs> But I can tell you where I have beat you is I'm not carrying a poker table off my blind. No, no, no. I bet you can beat him in some kind of versatility deal. Put him on a hillside somewhere and see how much he likes that poker table. <laughs> have him pack it thing through the Rockies or from coyote stand to coyote stand. Poker <laughs> <laughs> table. You can't make that stuff up. No. Josh, I got a question for you here. Since we're talking about that type of stuff, I kind of view that as a mistake. Uh, somebody wanting to take a poker table out in the field, try to hunt off of it. What What do you think is probably like the number one shooting mistake that you see hunters make? I mean, because you've 
you know, you've done it all. You've hunted all over the world, uh, you know, basically all over the world. You've been in different countries, hunting. You've been in several different hunting camps. You've been in deer blinds and coyote stands with multiple different people. What's one of those number one shooting mistakes that you see happen pretty often from hunters? Um, and, 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 come, and come a little closer back to your phone there. We're starting. You seem like you're fading away from us. Oh, man. Sorry. Uh, um, I, I would say really honestly the one that gets people uh is the floating elbow floating elbow yes yes uh, and we get lulled into this well that's a close shot i'll just rush it and i mean floating elbows like like i i've seen more deer missed at 75 yards from a elevated tower blind than you know, the elbow is the devil. Like it will kick your butt. Yeah. And and that's the. I mean, if you can get in some position to get something under that elbow, and I've showed this a lot of times. That you know, even in a kneeling shot, if you think about it, a lot of times if you're right-handed and your your trigger hand is going to be your right hand, I will see people when they go to the kneeling shot. Their left knee is what comes up to brace their left elbow. Right. And and that's, I mean, yeah, that's, that's better than the standing shot. Right. But then having that person flip and bring that right knee up, being the one that's up underneath your firing hand, if you're right-handed, opposite right. if you're left-handed, it's a world of difference. And if the front of your, whether we're talking about on a uh, – uh, a, a bipod or if you're in a hunting blind or whatever if the front of it is stable and the rest of you is not it's just a gate right and you know so <clears throat> um like if we're talking about a prone shot where you're shooting down at an extreme angle think about that when you have to start even though you're in the prone you have to start manipulating your body to get the back end high enough and then your elbow's floating again and then you gotta you gotta have the right combination of backpacks and coats or and rocks or whatever to get under your elbow. Um, but that one right there is, <clears throat> I I preach to my daughters and to everything. No matter what I'm doing, I gotta get something underneath my the elbow under my shooting arm. Right. Yeah. I and, I I totally agree with you. I think I would. There's two of them that almost that almost ties for me from what I've seen in the past. And especially like if you're actually really paying attention as somebody's actually shooting, it, it's it's that floating elbow deal where they don't have a good anchor point. And then the next one is is follow through, falling through on the shot. A lot of times you see people jerking up out of it, jerking a rifle off to the side so they can look, see if they've hit something or, or bringing their head up real fast. That'll cause you to miss a lot of shots right there. I, same thing with a pull shot. Yes, follow through. Right, I mean – You've got to stay that, that little bit gets magnified so much. Um, you know, and I go, what, if you need to watch where that animal's going, what you do, if, if it doesn't drop right now, watch it in the scope, just stay yeah. right there, follow through. Uh, what was your other one? You, you pretty much nailed it. The, the floating elbow stuff, you know, watching people mm. trying to get, get steady and they're just doing everything to fight against themselves 
to get steady instead of locking it, uh, you know, say if they are right-handed, locking that at the elbow down on a knee or on something in a blind or, or, or whatever, just to try to get that locked down. You just see people fighting themselves so much. And, uh, I think those are pretty much tie, not a, a floating elbow floating getting stable elbow. And, and then, and then the follow through, I think it's what kills them. And especially you're real bad shape. If you can't, uh, lock an elbow, lock your elbows down and get ready to, you know, make a good shot. And then you don't follow through after that, man, you ain't, there ain't no chance. You might, you might be shooting in one deer and hit a deer five foot over to the right. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that can be alleviated somewhat. Um, you don't necessarily have to have a range or live ammo to to fix the, you know, the floating elbow is getting into those, especially if we're talking about like coyote hunters, because, you, you know, y'all do it so quick and things happen so quick. Being able to do that, you know, take the bolt out of your rifle, just spend some time here and there practicing getting in that position you got to make it second nature yep right because i mean that's the reason you practice this stuff over and over and over again because because the moment adrenaline hits if it's the first time you've done it or it's the first time in a while it usually doesn't doesn't work out that well right um you know we we practice doing the same thing over whether it's it's military and and you know when, when we practice going into rooms and, and clearing buildings and doing that. So we're doing the same thing over and over again with one man goes here, two man goes here. And, and, you know, we say like the reason that you want to do that is that it's just like a flow. It's like, you're like water coming in and, and doing that. But you, you look like a, a soup sandwich when you're doing it the first time. Right. It's only with practice. <laughs> yeah that 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 muscle memory and then when something happens and and the two guy goes the wrong direction you're confident enough to know okay well now i just have to do this right and and so that's the same thing you know you think about a coyote comes running in you're going to scoot across and all of a sudden there's a rock there or you know something that catches you off guard in your in your transition you just flow around it Yep. And, get, and make get it work. Up. Yep. Mm-hmm. yep. Well, I've got, a, I've got a couple questions for you here, just kind of personal preference type stuff. Cause I, you know, I've hunted with you a few times and, and, and have watched you on hunts, you know, deer camp hunts with your kids and all that type of stuff. What, and I've seen you hunt with several different types of firearms. Um, what's your preference on, on rifles? You AR style guy or you a boat gun, man? I, I mean, you know, I go back and forth. I, I, I have hunted with ARs quite a bit. And, um, the ergonomics of them are, are hard to beat, right? right. I mean, um, triggers are usually right. not as great. I mean, I, no, I know. What if I told you? What if I told you you had to choose? Is it Josh Kendrick, <laughs> I, you can I, only I, hunt with one rifle the rest of the time. You gonna pick a boat gun or it's AR? A bolt. <laughs> it's a bolt. It, it, you know, I, I for deer at least. Uh, yep. coyotes, I, I, I'd probably pick an AR. Yeah. Um, okay. Okay. What about, uh, uh but, I got a, what about your, what's your favorite? I'm going to give you two questions here. It's about calibers. What's your favorite coyote caliber and what's your favorite deer hunting caliber? Okay. So coyote caliber, because a lot of times I do use ARs, a lot of times it's five, five, six. Okay. Yeah. It can't uh, be hard but, to beat, hard to beat. 
the six eight the six point eight SPC, which I happen to have uh, a Daniel Defense in that. Yep, I've had that that rifle for a long time, and that gives it a little bit of extra oomph for not that you know coyotes are. I'm not I know I'm not shooting lions. And I think I think like I've that, seen but. you deer hunt with that before too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's it's a killer of a round, especially all kinds of stuff. I I don't know what you know certain. Uh, rounds just have a killability to them. Like, and, right. and the 6.8 SBC, if you look at ballistics, you're like, eh, but man, it hammers it, them. It hammers some stuff. Yeah. What What about for the deer? For deer, um, you know, I go back and forth with, with hunting in South Texas and, and, and suppressors. I, I, I do like the shorter barrels. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so the 308 is, is a lot of times what comes in there. Um, but I go back to my roots where I used to read Jack O'Connor. And oh man, I know exactly what you're going to say now. For the 270. <laughs> yeah. um, I do love, I got um, a Weatherby in 6.5 RPM and yeah. I use that this year and I, I absolutely loved it. Yep. And the ballistics aren't that much different than a 270. Um, it's just the main reason is that, it's set up to be in the lighter action for Weatherby. I really like that. But what I've gotten away from um, is I, I like, and if I have to sacrifice some velocity, I don't want the longest barrel in the world out there. Right. Right. Um, I, 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 I get it for PRS and you guys shooting steel. It's out. I, I get right. it. Cool. But, you shoot you shooting a deer at a hundred yards or less. He don't know if he was shot with a twenty six inch barrel gun or a, a twenty or eighteen. We, <laughs> yeah, we, we had um when we were in New Zealand one year, because Daniel Defense was our sponsor and we were doing stuff, you know, it's it just when I was at Texas Trophy Hunters. Um, we were using the six point eight SBC to show how well it killed. I mean, I killed uh two tar a shanty on two different trips, Scott shot a stag. I mean it, it we did it. We had to get closer at some points, but we did it. Right. Because people were saying that round couldn't do it. This is, of course, when not a lot of people knew that round's were marking. And I had been used to carrying that rifle around. Well, we had a day where the winds were like 100 miles an hour, and we couldn't go up on the top. So we hunted down uh, further, and I took a, a Browning 300 Wind Mag. I caught that barrel. I'd been for a week walking around with after that, I was like, whew, man, <laughs> could do something long different. barrel and brush. <laughs> <laughs> right. And, and, and uh, one of the guys from Weatherby that was there when we were elk hunting in Montana, he had that 338 RPM, yep. um, which they they chamber and make in an 18 and a half inch barrel. And, I mean, walking around in the elk woods with that is, whew, right. Not anyway, sorry, I was along. So I, I, I have gotten away from... You know, I, I love the 25 alt six. It was, it's, you know, it's kind of a round that's lost popularity. Um, that was probably used to be my favorite deer round, but I've kind of gravitated to things with. They don't all have to be 18 inch barrels, but I, I like it. Hey, a some bit of shorter barrel. You know, you talked about some of the newer stuff and some of the older stuff. There, you know, when I came out to hunt with you this year. I was already packing a lot of gear, and I remember I called you. I said, you wouldn't happen to have a rifle that I could shoot while I'm in there deer hunting. And you're like, man, I got a Ruger Hawkeye that's right up your alley. 
got down there and, and, and that's a 30 off six 30 off six. six first love time it. i've ever i've shot 30 off sixes before i've got uncles that shot them for years and swear by them and, and i knew they were very potent you know probably one of the most popular big game cartridges ever in north america but uh shot it a couple times practicing there took it out in the field and my goodness that uh, big wide eight point couldn't hold it too much. He dropped straight. I think his hind end was the first thing that hit the ground. That's absolutely <laughs> hammered him. Good old thirty out six. Yeah, it's it's you know it's such a universal. I you know it's good for elk, good for deer. It's so many things. It's it's funny. You know, I meet people all the time that are like, all right, I need a gun for uh, hunting, self defense, and target shooting. What's the best one? Three different ones. Right, right, right. <laughs> I mean, right. Well, good thing about us, we're hunters, so yeah. <laughs> we, can, we can swim down pretty good. Well, I got one more question for you here, and then we'll close out. Um, which Swagger bipod model do you prefer to hunt with? I know you kind of answered it already, but uh, for all around hunting, you're going to, you know, I'll give you just one of them. You're going to hunt everything coyotes. Um, It'd be the 129. Um, you know, it, it covers me out in the West that if I do get a, a long, you know, and I need to be in the prone for or anything like that. Um, even if I'm sit, sat in a chair, I did bring that by accident one time when we were blind hunting. And yeah, I mean, it, it works nicely. You just tuck the legs back and fold them yep. into, you know, it's a very stable platform that, that for me, I mean, second would be the 142. If, if I know I'm not going to need to get in the prone, but yeah. for overall, I, I really like the 29. Yeah. And I'm, I'm a little op- opposite because we spent a lot of time hunting out of chairs and elevated seats. So uh, <laughs> the 42s, it's a pretty much dead heat for me with the 142 and the QD 42. I get asked that uh, uh, quite a bit, which one I'd like to use the most. And I pretty much, man, it's a, it's a draw between them both. I hate to tell people, like, buy them both, you know. <laughs> but, you know, they don't want to hear that. They want you to pick one. And it really comes down to which, which firearm I'm taking. It really does come down to that, you know. And, you know, for, for me personally, like the, the QD42 is great. I just prefer, I like having it attached to the rifle. I know some people don't, and, and that's why they like the QD42. But I, I like to know when I'm carrying it, it's it's there, it's ready to use. Both times that I was in New Zealand, um, this was way before Swag, Swagger was around, I had other competitor products with me. They were in my backpack. Well, both times I came around the hill it was go time. I didn't even have time to get them out. Didn't get to use them, but I know right there I can get down, get it out quickly. And, uh, I know I'm not going to leave it in the truck or under a tree. Man, I can't tell you how many times I've done that, especially if you're hunting (laughs) with other people making coyote stands. That is probably the most embarrassing thing ever. You walk in half a mile or something to make this coyote stand. Everybody's getting set up and you're all sudden you're like, where's my dang sticks at? (laughs) Oh, they're back here in the oh, truck. Man, it, I, I, I mean, it's not my proudest moment, but I've done it, and that's why I like having it attached. I, it, it, it just, it's there. I know I've got it. It's one less thing for me to worry about. Ah, you can't forget them if they're stuck on there. And, and you've seen. I mean, when we get in and we're going after deer and we're thinking about deer and moving and, and calling and going, oh crap, the wind shifted. Or like, yep. last thing I need to be worried about for me personally, um, and that's why I like. 129 yep no i totally i totally agree with you and i tell you what you know i I started out using the 129 and 142 and then uh it was actually i was down in kansas and we were actually testing 
the QD42. I think I actually uh-huh. had a 3D printed model. He was like, be careful of that thing because it'll bust. And, uh, you know, going from that Hunter 42 to testing that, I think it was three or four times over three days, I forgot that thing in the truck. <laughs> and they walk in there like, gosh, I got to walk back to the truck. Like, what's wrong? Forgot the forgot the QDs and and but after you know I kind of got back in that mode I ain't forgot them since but you know that happens it happens. <laughs> well and and you know I, I know we we announced it at ATA and Shot Show we will have a, a vice and a ball head I, I just it's being a little bit slower because for for guys, these for these tripod shooters we we are doing everything we can to not deal with China. Oh, that's the way to go. And away from China, not to China. Away from yes, China. Yes, <laughs> yes. Because like it, it, it is, uh, it, it's difficult to say the least. But it's just there is, uh, they will steal everything right. that you have and sell it. Like I, our competitors, y'all know who, who they are. We get people all the time from China going, hey. Here it is. You get on, look, you you get on Amazon and search our competitors. There are there's Chinese companies that are selling those exact same things. It's it's made to think that it's it's one or the other. Right. And that started happening. We so we're 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 doing this this vice, which we'll call the coyote vice, and we'll call the ball head. Um, they are not gonna be plastic, they're gonna be machined aluminum. Yep. In, and yes, they are going to weigh more than than plastic. Right. Like if you were, how much does it weigh? It's like you're carrying a tripod. What does it really matter? You got a tripod and a right. You already thermal. You already <laughs> you already packing weight and probably packing so, an AR ten. <laughs> it's um, heavy. So the complaints that we we always get are, are about these these ball heads and and these um uh vices being made of plastic and they, they wear out so uh, I, I hope that we will have these for sale by, by may well, that's that's my hope that's exciting i'd say for a lot of these night hunters and there is some day hunters that like to use a, tri- a tripod uh type shooting system and josh you know swagger bipods it's one of the reasons we love working with you guys you know we're a fox pro is a made in the usa company and for you guys that don't know it so is swagger bipods the hunter the hunter series and the qd series they're they're made they're made right here in the states that's american made product in kentucky in kentucky yes in kentucky lexington kentucky right up there so um we love we love the fact you know it's great it's a great product for one thing it's you know i've i've ran them for years and won't continue to run them for years uh we love working with you guys and that's one of the one of the big things that's uh that we we love about you it's a, another made in the usa product we love it. We love hearing that, that you're not taking something to China to be made. We like it being made right here. Right. And, you know, I, I'd like to, all y'all listening here, you know, these Fox Pros are made in America. Like, you know, everybody's trying to knock them off and, and yeah. come over to China. Like, all this stuff. Like, yep. you got to pay a dollar or a dollar fifty more um, to get quality and, and to get us out of China. Like, I, I, you know, the quality that comes back. I, I, I'm going to go on a little rant, but like, I, Let's I loved it. growing up the cotton Cordell <laughs> big O most fantastic. I loved that lure. I could fish rivers, lakes, color of it. I'm a little nostalgic, right? So right. I ordered some that, that came, um, 
when we moved over here, we were on the Guadalupe River now. So I was like, man, I'd love for my kids to you know, fish with these. I ordered some off of Amazon from this, you know, they're not, it's not, you know, it's all one big conglomerate company. The box literally came from China. It yeah. literally came from China. Yep. Uh, some of the products didn't have hooks on them. No, there isn't, I mean, they're worthless. The lures don't run straight. They wobble off to the side. They're just like. Jump. And when we just sacrifice everything for, for this, you know, gobs of plastic junk from a, from a country that can't stand us. Um, you know, I, I'm American. Yes, sir. It, it, and it, it, that means a lot to, to a lot of us, you know, take pride in that type of stuff, running stuff that's made in USA. You know, we love it, man. We love what you guys are doing. Yeah. We, we don't, is there anybody listening to this that wants to go buy a, a really crappy produced Chinese rifle? <laughs> Does anybody own one? No. So, you know, why do you want to sacrifice that on all your other, like, you, you know, you go back to that time you're talking about when you need to count on your equipment and count on everything at that moment. Like, last thing you need is a button falling off. Right, right. I know it. But, it, it it's wild, you know, and there are people going to be listening to this stuff, you know, like on an iPhone or, or whatever. And they're like, well, I mean, know, I've got an iPhone. I know. They're like, well, you're sitting there, you're with the, you're with the iPhone. You're, you're just, just as bad. Well, guess what? If they made one in the USA, I'd be the first one to buy one, son. <laughs> hey, bring a smartphone to Lexington, Kentucky and have it made there. I'll be the first one to own one. <laughs> I, you know, I, I, um, I, I think things will change here hopefully soon, but I mean, it's a, it's a whole system. The way it's set up, it's like, it's almost impossible to manufacture, um, you know, and the way, the way they do it, it's, it's just, it's crazy. Yep. Yep. Well, Josh, I think we've pretty much run out of time here. I appreciate you being on. I've had a good time, good time talking with you. We talked a little bit of deer hunting, talked some, uh, shooting tips and, uh, went several different directions, but man, it's a, had a good time talking with you today. Absolutely. Well, we appreciate it, John, and all you guys over at Fox Pro. Um, let me know where you we're gonna be. We're headed out to the ranch to try to take some coyotes out. Not this weekend, but the next weekend. Hey. So Hattie's Hattie's gonna try to get her first coyote. We, I told you, we called in a bunch uh, last spring, and we we got to get in a little bit. <laughs> it all happened a little too fast right hey <laughs> y'all should be hitting it just right down there in that country i'd hey let them hit them with some howls and then hit some of them small puppy sounds you should have like there's a sound that, i know it's gonna sound crazy when i tell you this josh but we talked about this just a couple weeks ago here on this podcast look in your folders on josh has got a fox pro x2s go in there's there will be a category called um domestics There'll be canine puppies one and canine puppies two. You're sitting there thinking, well, why would I play domestic dog sounds? Might as well go ahead and flip that safety off because they're going to be coming after you hit that. <laughs> they have some fast action. <laughs> so good, good, luck, good luck to y'all down there. Hey, so what, I know we were talking about it a little bit, but I mean, we do a bunch of trapping for raccoons, yep. but what, I, I want to try to call some in. I've never, I've never tried, right. honestly. Right. What 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 do y'all use for the the raccoon calls? Which ones? Man, you know I've never done a lot of it, but I know several of the guys that do. Uh, they use the raccoon fight, and then some of the young raccoon distress sounds that'll be on there. 
Uh, I would okay. start out with the young raccoon distresses and then finish up with you with your raccoon fights and see what happens, man. Hey, everybody, listen to this. Go shoot some raccoons, man. They need to, to me. Yes, I hate there's them, no man. mystery about where these turkeys are going. No, there's uh, no mystery. They may have an Don't impact. Leave. That's for sure. <laughs> it is raccoons, <laughs> and you know what? I guarantee you, we pull back some raccoons, we'll start seeing more birds again. Yep. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And y'all have got a lot of game birds down there. Several. A uh, couple different kinds of quail down there, so y'all, I'm sure y'all get hit hard by the raccoons. Oh yeah, we we trap a ton of them, and it's just it's barely treading water. Yeah, yeah. Well, Josh, I appreciate you being on here, but I have to get you on again here before too long. All right. Well, good luck this uh, turkey season. We'll talk to you later. All right. We hope everyone enjoyed this episode. And we hope you join us again right here on the Fox Pro Podcast. <laughs>